uh, have the privilege of, of introducing to you our, our speaker this morning, Dr. Peter Kapsner is with us. Uh, Peter is a lecturer with us at UNW in the uh, Christian Ministries Department. Um, he has a PhD in practical theology and brings his life experience to the classroom as he explores uh, issues facing students today. Um, his areas of specialty include New Testament, human sexuality, ethics, church history, uh, engagement with culture, ministry leadership, and uh, spiritual formation. That's a lot. Oh, man. You have a lot. That's good. (laughs) (laughs) Dr. Kastner is active in preaching at local churches and is a guest host um, and weekly contributor on the Faith Radio Network. So, Dr. Kastner, we are glad you're here. Let's give uh, Peter a welcome uh, this morning. I kind of like that, uh, that Dr. Kapsner thing. For all of you, um, you losers, in my, I mean winners in my ethics class, calling me Petey, I kind of like that Dr. Kapsner thing. That has a good ring to it uh, on that. I should call you uh, participation trophy uh, holders, maybe not losers or winners. Well, it is uh, Holy Week. Welcome to Holy Week. This is the most sacred of all weeks for us as followers of Jesus. This is the week in which we celebrate the authentic freedom and hope that has come because the word has been made flesh and dwelt among us. His name means salvation, and he came to rescue and to restore the beloved. And as I even introduce it in that way, this should be the most spectacular of all of weeks for us. This is a week of great celebration, and yet I'm guessing that for many of us in this room today, that for one reason or another, the week feels less than spectacular. It might even feel a bit meh. Um, Here we are in chapel again, and how is this week different than other weeks? And maybe one of the reasons for that is because there is probably a question in this room. It might not be in this room this morning until I highlight it, but it is a question that I've heard over and over and over again from faithful followers of Jesus in all of the years of vocational ministry, in 18 years in evangelical classrooms and tens of thousands of people on faith radio, there is a shockingly common question that seems to take the celebration and the spectacular nature of the good news out of play this week. It's a question, maybe you've heard it, maybe you've asked it before, but it goes something like this. If salvation was brought into the world during this most holy of weeks, my question is, is can I lose my salvation? Can I lose my salvation? Has anybody ever heard that question asked before or maybe asked it yourself? So yeah, it's, uh, it's uh, such a common question. It's a troubling question. It does take the celebratory nature out of play of this week, I would suggest. So what I want to do as we start out Holy Week this week is do the best I can to at least attempt to answer that question All we can really do is scratch the surface of the question here this morning, but what my hope is is that you would leave today seeing at least the pathway of moving away from a Good Friday-only people and into a people of the Easter Sunday, where our gospel has so often stopped at the events of Good Friday, causing us to ask this question, can I lose my salvation, if we can move from the events of Good Friday into the actual events of Easter Sunday, the heart of our faith, maybe that would at least go a little ways towards answering that question. If we see what Jesus really did, maybe there would be cause for celebration. If you're feeling a bit lost this morning, let me try to demonstrate 
perhaps the version of the gospel that I'm describing as the Good Friday-only gospel that leads to this understandable question, can I lose my salvation? But, but to give this demonstration, I need some help. So I'm going to ask my son Caleb to come up on stage uh, with me right now. So here's Caleb. You welcome him. Yep. Right. And uh, against my better judgment on every possible level, I am going to invite Jesse up to the stage as well. You don't know? No, no, no. No reason to clap. No reason to clap. Okay. So we, we have not rehearsed this version of the gospel. They don't even know what we're going to do for sure this morning. So I don't even know what I'm going to do for sure this morning. So we'll try it, okay? This, this tends to be the version of the gospel. You two need to play your roles. Play, play them well. Okay, um, Caleb, first of all, you are going to be the angry father in heaven, okay? So maybe go stand over there by the curtain somewhere, okay? And this won't be hard for you. Uh, Caleb was home this weekend. He brought his toiletry homes. He's, he's well bathed and everything. Uh, and, and he asked me to bring them all uh, this morning because he had forgotten them at home and I forgot. So I'm actually sinners in the hands of an angry son at the moment, okay? <laughs> um, Jesse, you just hang out. Go by the corner of the stage. We'll bring you, uh, we'll bring you in in just a minute. So the way that this gospel tends to work is um, I am a sinner, obvious, right? So I'm a sinner, um, and, and there's nothing between me and perpetually angry father right now. So you have to be angry. <laughs> Maybe we should have rehearsed. That was solid. No, that was good. Okay, so you're angry father, I'm sinner, and we know that angry father can't tolerate sin, doesn't want to be in the midst of sin, is like always looking to just, you know, beep, 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 just like knock out the sinners, all right? So, um, my destination basically is hell at this point because I'm sinners in the hands of an angry God. And so, uh, if I die tonight or tomorrow or whatever, I'll end up over here. I don't know why this is hell, but I end up over in hell uh, right here, okay? Um, So, I need to do something about this. And what I've been told that I can do is, uh, after being sort of scared a bit by a question, if you die tonight, do you know where you would go? And I was like, holy smokes. Um... Okay, uh, help, help me do something. And then, and then I'm told in this version of the gospel um, that what I need to do is I need to ask for forgiveness for my sins, right? Anybody familiar with this story so far? Okay, ask for forgiveness for my sins. And if I'm willing to ask for forgiveness of my sins and believe that, uh, well, I don't know why I'm pointing at you yet. Believe that, that Jesus took the blow from the angry father in my place that then there's good news in that, and I'm not going to go over there to hell, I'll go to heaven. I mean, we sang so beautifully, so this is heaven. This is the angelic choir uh, over here, um, and this is heaven, okay? Uh, So I really, 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 really don't want to end up over here in hell. I really, really want to end up over here in heaven. But currently, I'm sinners in the hands of an angry God who's beep, 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 sending me this way because like I stole my sister's cookie when I was five, so there's the chasm, right? Uh, so at the end of being convinced that I need to do something appropriately, um, I'm gonna pray this sinner's prayer, dear Lord, forgive me my sins. I believe you died on the cross, like all of that, okay? And what happens, here's the good news, is I get my Jesus shield. Okay, so this is now bring Jesse into play. So, so now... Um, I'm still basically a complete and total disaster, okay? But the good news is, is I have this imputed righteous Jesus shield thing going on, okay? Um, And so the angry father can't actually see me. He can only see Jesus. I got my shield. Yay! (laughs) Right? 
But then here's where the problem comes in, and this gets to be the origin of the question, is that um, I feel such relief on that Wednesday night after youth group after I got my Jesus shield. Um, but what happens by like Friday is all of a sudden, I'm sinning again. <gasps> and then Monday, I'm, and then, well, let's just use an example, okay? I'll try to use an irrelevant one so that you don't feel uncomfortable at all. So let's say it's pornography. Irrelevant. So I got my Jesus shield on Wednesday, and on Friday, I'm doing pornography again. And, but I'm like, okay, I think I'm still, I think I'm still okay. Uh, and then on Monday, it's like, did pornography. And then on Wednesday, I'm like, I will never do it again, Lord. And I go all disciple Peter, Peter you know, I will never deny you. And then by Friday, cock-a-doodle-doo, here I am again. <laughs> and I'm like, whoa. You know, and pretty soon, I've, like the shield is chipping away a little bit, and, and I don't really know. And then after a month and two months and four months, I'm feeling ever defeated according to my moral intentions, and I, and I always make these big promises. I won't ever do it again. I'll get in accountability groups. I'll text my buddies. I'll, and then here we are again, and I start feeling defeated after all this time. And, and as I do, I ask the question that is the most pervasive question I get asked in all of evangelical Christendom, can I lose my salvation? 30 years in vocational ministry, 18 years in the evangelical classroom, tens of thousands of listeners on faith radio, can I lose my salvation because I'm still sinning and I step outside of the Jesus shield and now I wonder, I think I'm going back this way what can I do? So then I pray the prayer again. (laughs) And I've prayed that magic prayer some 13 times in my life to try to keep my Jesus shield in play because I'm terrified that I'll end up there and not there. Okay, thank you for your demonstration, all right? Now, there's probably a few more than a few relevant comments. Let me give you just a couple this morning as we now start to pivot away towards the troubling nature of what we believe has been true about the gospel and maybe into the kind of gospel that Jesus brought to the table. If we could somehow rewind ourselves back through 2,000 years of theological history and let Jesus emerge from the shadows of the theologians who have told us about this version of the gospel, what might he say in that fourth decade of the first century? Because there's a bit of a problem. I don't know if you've noticed the problem with this version of the gospel that just because it's common doesn't mean that it has appropriated all of what is going on in the scriptures. Here's some of the problems. If that sinner's prayer did what it was promised to do, then you cannot lose your salvation, right? I mean, that's one option, right? Which then functionally means I can pray that prayer after being afraid for 30 seconds on a Wednesday night and decide to become a pirate for the rest of my life and it doesn't matter. I can pillage and plunder, I don't know how to do those things, but I can pillage and plunder for the rest of my life and it does not matter because I cannot lose my salvation based on a 30 second ritual that I did on a Wednesday night to get my Jesus shield. Anybody feel like that's maybe a bit of a problem? But if we explore the other direction of this, the problem goes something like this. If I can lose my salvation, uh then some guy named Luther is probably rolling over in his grave right now. 
But maybe even more importantly than all of that, if we just simply let the Bible be the Bible, maybe there's another beautiful invitation in this that can begin that move. And again, we can't do it all at once. We certainly can't accomplish this in a short time on a Monday morning at Northwestern Chapel. But let me just give you a little taste, something to think about in this week ahead. There's nothing about that gospel that I just presented up there that requires Easter Sunday. Just let that in for a second. Like, let's not give that a wink and a nod. Let's just let that in for a second. There's nothing about that version of the gospel that requires Easter Sunday. If Jesus took the blow from the Father on my behalf on the cross, thus finding the right target for his ever-perpetual anger so that his wrath was satisfied on that cross as soon as Jesus was in the grave, it's over. There's nothing about that gospel that requires Easter Sunday, and yet Paul has the audacity to say something biblically absurd. I mean, he wrote it. (laughs) He said something along the lines of, but if the resurrection had not happened, your faith is in vain. So let that in. If the resurrection had not happened, your faith is in vain. For you as beautiful image bearers, sons and daughters of the eternal king that have felt locked in terms of your moral intentions and worried about losing your salvation, it might not be as much about you as about the gospel that we've believed to be true, but maybe we've missed something. Maybe we've believed in a Good Friday-only gospel and we have no idea what happened on that Easter Sunday. But it's hard to see that Easter Sunday so far away from it as we are some 2,000 years ago. We have to sort of plow. Jesus is somewhere over there in, in uh, the custodial room, and, and, and we, don't even, we can see him through the lens of all of these theologians. You know the theological telephone game where people have whispered things through all the centuries, and by the time we get from Jesus back there all the way to us, we're more committed to our theological views than we are actually to the one who came and died and was raised. And if we were just, we don't have enough time, but if we plowed back, we'd probably have some questions for Jonathan Edwards that I thought his love was demonstrated and while we were yet sinners, he died for us. I thought it was love that motivated the heavens, not to satisfy the wrath. We might ask John Calvin some questions about predestination. Did you, didn't you know Romans was about a people and a you and, and this is about the vocation of Israel? We might ask Luther some questions. Why did you want to throw out four books in the Bible to make sure that your theological view was safe. Good theologians, but all theologians are limited, myself included. We might ask Anselm of Canterbury, why did you bring in this language that God had a debt that had to be paid? Who did he owe? And we might ask St. Augustine, I know you were wrecked by your own sexual sin, but when did we move from the image bearers have eternity in their hearts, their hearts are totally depraved. And if we can go back through all of that time and let the Bible be the Bible and wonder about what Paul meant by if the resurrection hadn't happened, your faith would be in vain, maybe we could walk all the way back through all of this theological history and stand as close as we can to the Nazarene carpenter. In that fourth decade of the first century when the word became flesh, and dwelt among us. What might he say that he was up to? I don't know for sure, but maybe it would sound something like this. To all of us, 
wondering if we can lose our salvation, feeling meh in our faith. This does not feel like spectacularly good news this week. It feels like, once again, I'm just playing a game of fraudulence. What might he say to us this morning? Could it actually begin to sound like good news and not meh news? Maybe he would say something like this. So, my beloved children, I have some bad news for you first. There is a sickness in you that is unto death. It is a leprosy. It is a power at work in this world. It is not in your inmost being, but it is winding its way through you. It is a leprosy. It is a sin. It has reigned since the time of Adam. It is disfiguring you. It is destroying you. It is causing turmoil and pain and suffering and anxiety and deception and fear and darkness and lack of sleep. In the misery of the soul, you cannot escape the infection. And the infection is a sickness unto death, and when you walk in those waters of death, there is no other side, there is no hope, there is no future for you. I have bad news for you. You are sick unto death, my beautiful image bearers. But I have good news for you. Love has opened up the heavens. Love has opened up the heavens. Not an insecure God who needs his name somehow restored to honor as if God is worried about that. Not some perpetual anger because in the text, the anger of God is always a passing energy at the end of a long process of wooing and it's motivated by grief. God's primary posture towards us is love. Love opened up the heavens and I am here, says Jesus. And here's the good news. I can take the sickness. What you haven't known since the time of Adam is that I have allowed sin to move increasingly through Torah and through law, to, to even allow sin to aggrandize itself through the law. I've been concentrating in that direction, and now that I'm here, I'm going to keep concentrating that power of sin that is killing you. I'm going to concentrate it on me. And here's the good news. I'm going to beat it in its entirety. See, I think the good news sounds something like this. If I have five children at home, and let's say that one of my children comes home, let's say Samuel, my 16-year-old, comes home, and as he walks in the door that day, his foot is kind of dragging, and his, and his speech is slow, and his eyes are a little wobbly, and it's quite clear that he is sick. And we take him after a series of tests and appointments. We take him to, to these doctors, and the doctors say, here's the deal. He has an inoperable, inoperable tumor on his brainstem, and he's going to die. Do you think for a second as his father, I'm going to be like, yeah, that's right. I'm pretty mad at you about it. Who can help stave off my anger? <laughs> I would be moving heaven and earth out of love to save my child. And if that meant that I could go to the operating table and I could take that tumor into myself so that my son, my beloved son, could be set free, I would do it in a heartbeat. And so we go to the operating table, and the physician says, I can take this tumor, but somebody's going to take it. And if he's not going to take it, I'm bringing it to you, Kapsner. I would do it willingly every day, twice on Sunday, on behalf of my beloved. It was love that caused the heavens to open, seeing us in our sickness and our defeat. We're worried about losing our salvation all the time. What kind of God do we serve? And so then on that operating table, the news gets even better 
Because just as we're about ready to go under the anesthesia, we're just about ready to do this procedure of the cross, suddenly Samuel looks at me and says, Dad, hang on just a minute. There's something I haven't told you before. I need to tell you this. Uh, I have been eating 25 double-stuffed Oreo cookies a day since the time I was two. You didn't know it, but that chemistry experiment that is the Oreo cookie has caused my cells to mutate. I am the reason why I have the tumor. This has nothing to do with you. I am the cause of that. Don't take it. This is mine. And now if we just let the Bible be the Bible... We might read something absurd and profound that where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. And in that moment of confession, I might look at my son and say, I know. And maybe even with a smile, I would still take it. Not begrudgingly. Willing to walk in those waters of death. But there's even better news than that. Because in taking that, I've set my son free. But what the cookie didn't know... (laughs) And what the powers of darkness didn't know is that I had the quality of some kind of blood that could come out the other side. If the resurrection had not happened, your faith is in vain. It means that sin still reigns and it even conquered the son of heaven. But the good news is, is it does not reign. He has been raised. The tomb is empty. Sin and death has been defeated forever and ever and ever For the heavens have opened and love has come and the one took it all into himself because he knew he could beat it. That tomb is empty. So I was saying death could not hold you. The veil tore before you. You silenced the boast of sin and grave. And so the heavens are roaring, the praise of your glory. For you were raised to life again and you have no rival and you have no equal. Now and forever, God, you reign. And yours is the kingdom, yours is the glory, yours is the name above all names. It was for freedom's sake that he set us free. Salvation is not something that we get related to hell or heaven when we die. Heaven is our home where we will dwell forever and ever and ever. And salvation is a name, and its name is Jesus. His name means salvation. If you're going to lose your salvation, you have to lose Jesus Of course he knows that we're going to continue to battle sin and death in this life. Your addiction to porn is not evidence of having lost your salvation. Your addiction to porn is an invitation that in great humility, you keep holding hand of the one who is salvation. And in the beauty and the wonder and the power and sometimes the pain and the sorrow and the suffering we need to go through so that his life-giving power will begin to replace the power of sin and death in our life. This is what Paul meant when he said, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, how much more is he going to bring God's way of life into your mortal bodies right here today? Jesus is not a symbol on a cross. He is a living and active being who gives us the power over time and our humility to overcome the power of sin and death. You do not need to stay locked in your moral intentions forever and ever. This is not about a Jesus shield. This is about a salvation of love on behalf of the image bearers that came into effect because the tomb was empty. I don't know what is ahead for your generation. I truly don't. The challenges and the difficulties and the anxiety and the fear uh, that you all face are as real as anything I've ever seen in my 51 years on this earth. 
whether you understand all of what I'm trying to say this morning, my great hope for all of you is that you would start a new generation. It would be an Easter Sunday generation. A generation whose faith and whose gospel is not dependent only on Good Friday as if it ends there when Jesus goes into the ground. The tomb is empty. Sin has been beaten forever. This is spectacularly good news. God's primary posture towards you is love. Willing to take it all on on your behalf. So my suggestion to you as we close this first day of Holy Week is spend a little time perhaps with Andrew Peterson this week and his song, His Heartbeats. Just let it wash over you again and again. I will read uh, the words of the song and then we'll close. Andrew Peterson writes this. He breathes in, his living lungs expand and the heavy air surrounding death turns to breath again. He breathes out, he is word and flesh once more. The lamb of God slain for us is a lion ready to roar. And so he rises, glorified in flesh, clothed in immortality. He's the firstborn from the dead. His work's already done, and he's resting as he's rise to reclaim the bride he won. He took one breath, and he put death to death. So where now is your sting, O grave? How grave is your defeat? And so crown him the Lord of life, and crown him the Lord of love, and crown him the Lord of all. He is for you. He is for you. He really is for you. Not some big insecure being in the sky raging with anger, but willing to diminish himself and even become subject to death out of love on behalf of his beloved so he could set them all free. He is for you. And he's beaten the entire thing. The way out of the anxiety and the turmoil and the fear and the moral intentions is to move from a Good Friday community only to an Easter Sunday community to live within the resurrection of what that Nazarene carpenter accomplished so many years ago. There is good news in this world. Would you stand as we close? God, in whatever and however we're thinking about all of these things, I just ask that by your spirit you would move and lead and guide among us to set forth a generation of people who know what it means to live within the resurrection life that you provided. Thank you for this beautiful community of beloved image bearers. Bless them as they go by the power of your spirit. Amen.